The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And we'll send it back here immediately. And they went ahead and found a colt tied at a door in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they said to them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the Twelve. This morning's sermon is going to be a, a little different probably than the usual sermon. It does feel that way for me. It will serve in a way as an introduction to this last portion of the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 11 begins what is, in essence, a a new part in the gospel, a new scene in Jesus' life. We've had a few of those uh, so far as we've walked through through the the gospel of Mark. Uh, Primarily, the, the public ministry of Jesus, the shift then into the private ministry of Jesus with his disciples, and now this event, which, which we know as the triumphant or the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, marks what is the final week of Jesus' life. From Mark chapter 1 until through Mark chapter 10, we cover, in essence, three years. In the next six chapters, we will deal with what is essentially only six days. So this morning, we're going to look at this text and, and, and get from it some, some timelines and, and what Jesus is doing and why Jesus is doing this and where all of this is, is leading. Um, but we also want to know what we as followers of Jesus can, can learn from this text for our own life. And so while it maybe isn't a, a normal sermon, I do need probably to give you an outline to follow, especially if you're a note taker. It helps you follow along with us. And if I didn't, you might be 
sitting there confused. We certainly don't want that to happen. So if we're going to break down these 11 verses, I would do it in two points, in two points. And they're both points that are found in this text, but also speak to to the larger narrative that's happening. And here they are. The first is the sure Messiah, the sure Messiah. Jesus is doing a number of things in this text to make it abundantly clear exactly who he is. And the second thing would be a shifting crowd, a shifting crowd. We don't see this shift take place in this text, though we know it does take place in just a matter of days. Uh, But what we do find in this text is the beginning response of this crowd in Jerusalem, and we know how it will shift in just a few days. But as I say, this morning we're going to be looking backwards a good bit, seeing exactly what Jesus is doing in in, um, entering into Jerusalem this way. And we're also going to be looking forward at what will be happening. I do believe that it's important to understand the timeline of what is going to take place and where this particular day, Jesus entering into Jerusalem, falls in that timeline. Most scholars believe that this event took place on a Monday. Now, that may be shocking to some of you because we do not celebrate or remember it on a Monday, do we? We celebrate it on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. But more than likely, this takes place on a Monday. To the best of our ability... It is is put in the calendar in the month of Nisan. We don't celebrate that month, but for the Jews, this would have been the first month of the year. This Monday would have taken place on the 10th of Nisan. The crucifixion then will take place On the 14th, this is, as we know and as was in the Jewish calendar, this is Passover week. This is the week that the Jews celebrated the Passover, the remembering of of God freeing the, the Hebrew people from slavery and bondage in Egypt through this final plague of Death and the gracious mercy of God passing over those who had sacrificed and put blood over their doorposts. To this point in history, in Jerusalem for Passover week, there would have been hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem. Some even put the estimate up to a million people who have traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, to offer sacrifices in the temple. 
We do probably need to to stop here because it is in these dates that we see one of the evidences of a sure Messiah and why Jesus is doing what he is doing when he is doing it. Jesus is making it abundantly clear to those who can understand that he is the one true promised Messiah. The way, one of the ways that he is is doing this is that in the Old Testament, the practice for selecting the Passover lamb took place always on the 10th of Nisan. You see this in Exodus chapter 12, verses 2 through 6. This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at Twilight. This is exactly why Jesus has ordered his steps to come into Jerusalem on this particular day. In keeping with Old Testament law, Jesus is showing on this day, the 10th of Nisan, that he is the selected Passover lamb. And that he will give his life as sacrifice then on the 14th day. This takes place on a Monday, on Sunday, the Sunday before, Jesus is at Bethany. He is at the home of some dear friends of his, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He has, at this point, raised Lazarus from the dead. Mark doesn't record that. Gospel of John does. And by this point, word has spread about this miraculous work of this man being raised from the dead. You can imagine that had that happened here, word would spread. Word is spread certainly to... Jerusalem, it's only two miles away. Word has gotten to the Jews who are there, and the Jews have now come to Bethany to search this out. It's pretty incredible what John records as what they're seeking to do. In John chapter 12, verse 9, it says, When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus who had been raised from the dead. So the chief priest, 
made plans to put Lazarus to death as well because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. And so this is really the Sunday before the Monday, in essence, Jesus in Bethany with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and a great crowd of Jews have come there with the intentions to kill not only Jesus, but Lazarus as well. Now, is this funny to me, right? I mean, the guy was just dead and was raised from the dead, and here you are wanting to to kill him again. Doesn't that seem like somewhat of a waste of time? But nonetheless, that's what they were looking to do, looking to kill Jesus looking to kill Lazarus. We know that because of this phrase here in verse 10, as well, as well. On Monday, then, Jesus is leaving Bethany, traveling the two miles or so to Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem. It's a, it's a, um, a pretty significant uh, rise up into the city of Jerusalem. Mark says it this way here in verse 1 of chapter 11. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you. More than likely, this village in front of them is this village of Bethpage, because we know from the Gospel of John that they had been in Bethany. And Jesus gives his disciples these instructions for procuring a donkey, but not only a donkey, a colt, which is a, a, a donkey, a year old, a young, a young donkey, and not only that, but one that is unridden. So Jesus tells them this, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter You will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and send it back. And he will send it back here immediately, right? Because, you know, in essence, Jesus is sending them to commit a burglary. Go and find a a donkey and, and bring it here. And if anyone happens to ask you, while you're doing it, you tell them, I need it, and I will send it back to them immediately. And so they went away. And as they enter into this city, they find there a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untie it, just as Jesus has told them to. And just as Jesus said would probably happen, some of them that were uh, standing around said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them that Jesus, what Jesus has said, and they let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. So what is all of this? Well, this is another example of Jesus making it clear that he is the promised Messiah. This is an exercise, an illustration, and an example of Jesus' omniscience. He knows all things. He knew exactly where this cult would be. He knew exactly what would took place before it ever took place. And secondly, 
All of this is done for the purpose of keeping Old Testament prophecy. Mark does not tell us this, but Matthew does tell us this in Matthew chapter 21, verses you know, 4 and, and, and 5. At the end of this, Matthew says, this took place, this sending of his disciples in to get this, this colt and to bring it out. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This is what we just read. This is Zechariah 9, 9. So Jesus is, is doing all of this to fulfill Old Testament prophecy, to continue to point to him as the sure Messiah. Why this emphasis then on an unridden cult? The reason is because in the Old Testament, when a, a donkey or a cult was chosen to be used for kingly purposes, they always chose an unridden donkey or an unridden colt. You can read about that. We won't this morning. Numbers 19, Deuteronomy 21, or 1 Samuel chapter 6. Jesus is making it abundantly clear who he is. Who he is. And it's pretty remarkable that his disciples still don't see it. We know that because John tells us in John chapter 12, verse 16, that his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Jesus is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy after Old Testament prophecy after Old Testament prophecy. Jesus is working miraculous wonders. Jesus is doing all of these glorious things. Yet even his disciples still don't understand exactly at this point who he is. May that be a warning to us that we can come and we can sit and we can sing the songs and we can hear the sermons and we can pray the prayers. We can read the Bible and we can still miss exactly who Jesus is. You can still be found in unbelief. What you need, what I need, what we all need is the grace of God to come upon us and to open our eyes to see Jesus for exactly who he is. And so they brought the colt, verse 7, to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Interestingly, this is the only time in all of the Gospels that Jesus is not walking or riding on a boat. It's the only time that Jesus is, is using a, another mode of transportation. You know, that's not the only difference in this day, but there is also another difference in this day than the ones that had come before for Jesus. You see, Jesus was 
Incredibly popular. Lots of people knew who he was. His fame has spread and crowds have followed him everywhere he goes. But in essence, Jesus, in, in a, a lot of ways, has been moving in secrecy. You, you can remember not very long ago when Jesus fed um, the, the multitude with the loaves and the fish, the response of the crowd was to take him and to make him king. And what was Jesus' response to that? It was to sneak away, to get away. This event in Jesus' life is very public. He could have snuck into Jerusalem as he had snuck in and out of many of cities before. But this time, Jesus chooses not to. He chooses instead to enter into Jerusalem with a large crowd and a, and a good bit of fanfare so that all the attention then is on him. And it's important for us to understand that what Jesus is doing here is both purposeful and very dangerous. It's purposeful in that he does it, as we've seen, to fulfill prophecy. Jesus does this to fulfill prophecy. But it was also purposeful in order to force a sovereign timeline. Jesus is purposefully escalating things so that by the time we get to the day of Passover, he would be crucified. The Jews did not want to do this the week of Passover. They would have much rather done this in secrecy and behind closed doors and without the multitudes there. But Jesus is forcing their hand as he comes into Jerusalem. This crowd is worked up. In verse 8, and many spread their cloaks on the ground. And others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. This image here of laying your, your cloaks on the ground before Jesus is, it's, it's a kingly response. This is what would take place in the Old Testament. This is what we see in 2 Kings chapter 9. In 2 Kings chapter 9. This is what's recorded. Then Elisha the prophet came, or called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, tie up your garments and take the flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. And when you arrive, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, and go in and have him rise from among his fellows and lead him to the inner chamber 
Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee. Do not linger. So this is Jehu being anointed, being chosen as the king of Israel, being anointed with oil. We see this happen just recently in Jesus' life. And so then these, these things take place. And Jehu is, is chosen and he is anointed and it's, it's communicated to him exactly what God is going to do. And then we get down to verse 11 and it says that when Jehu came out to the servants of his master, they said to him, is all well? Why did this mad fellow come to you? And he said to them, you know the fellow and his talk. And they said, that is not true. Tell us now. And he said... Thus and so he spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. So as this crowd in Jerusalem takes off their cloaks and they lay it on the road in front of Jesus, as he enters into Jesus on the, the foal of this um, donkey on, in this, this unridden colt, all of the imagery taking place here, and even the understanding of the crowd is that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. That's why they're laying their cloaks on the ground. They cut. Mark doesn't tell us. He just says leaves. John tells us that they cut uh, palm branches and laid palm branches down before him. This is why we call it Palm Sunday. Palm branches were symbolic of salvation joy. So you have all of these people in this multitude of a crowd seeing Jesus entering into Jerusalem on, this, on um, a, a colt, and their response is one that shows that they understand him to be king of Israel. They are filled with joy, so much so that they sort of spontaneously erupt in song. And so they begin to... Um, shout, verse 9, literally, shout, Hosanna, Hosanna. That means, Lord, save us now. It's a, it's a plea to God to redeem and to save. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. They are shouting Psalm 118 verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. This is from this crowd, a recognition that Jesus is Messiah. That's what this is. Hosanna. 
Salvation is here. Save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the promised Messiah. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. They understand this to be the promised son of David to restore the kingdom of David. No doubt, word of Bartimaeus has spread. Bartimaeus is most likely with him. He says he's following him. This is Bartimaeus' confession, son of David. This is a recognition of Jesus as Messiah. But as I said, this is a shifting crowd, isn't it? In only a few days, their shouts will go from Hosanna to crucify him. How? Why? What's happening? What's taking place? It is because they do not understand what God is doing. They believed that Messiah would come and would bring a political and a physical restoration of Israel and that the deliverance would be a deliverance of Israel from Rome not from sin. You see, they were thinking in terms of a political salvation, not a personal one. They had created for themselves a savior after their own hearts. And when Jesus didn't do what they wanted him to do, they turned on him and they forsook him. And their cries went from Hosanna to crucify him. What a striking picture of a shifting crowd. And what a stark warning it is for us. Church, Jesus is not who we want him to be. Jesus is who he is. See, if you create for yourself a savior after your own heart, you might praise him for a minute. But when he doesn't do all that you want and expect him to do, you will forsake him. There are lots of different kinds of Jesuses people have created for themselves. Just to name a few, you, you can see Jesus as the target Jesus. The place where I can go and get all the things that I need for my life. You can see Jesus as the district attorney Jesus. The savior that would go after all the people who have hurt you. You can see Jesus as the vacation planner Jesus, whose sole job is to make your life easy or comfortable. But when Jesus isn't those things, because he is not those things, we get frustrated 
and we reject him. And if we are not careful, we run the risk of creating a Jesus after our own desires. Jesus is who Jesus is. He is the sure Messiah. He is the sovereign one. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the one that is ordering your steps. He is the one that will execute justice. He is the one at whose name every knee will bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that he is Lord. He is who he is. He is the sure Messiah. He is the King of kings. And we have to understand through his word, by his grace, exactly who he is and be very careful not to create a Messiah after our own desires. A sure Messiah and a shifting crowd. Well, this Monday is coming to an end. And Jesus, in verse 11, enters into Jerusalem and he went directly to the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. What's, what's Jesus doing here? He's... He's casing the place. That's what he's doing. He's walking into the temple and he's seeing the things that are taking place. And it's already late. He needs a a larger crowd. He's going to escalate things in a great way. As he overturns the tables and makes it clear what God's temple is to be. That day's coming. There's going to be a whole lot over these next six days or so as we walk through together. Just six days in the life of Jesus will will probably end up being about six months for us. Because there's a whole lot that we have to see. By God's grace, we will. He will show us. Here's my, my challenge to you this morning. I understand that, that in, a, in a church like ours, this is, f- for you, in a way, common knowledge, right? You know about the triumphal entry. You know about Jesus cleansing the temple. You, you know about Jesus cursing the fig tree. You know about Jesus in the garden. You know about these things, so my prayer for you and my, my prayer for me is that we don't come to God's word over these next months as we look at what is the most important event in all of human history as the same old, same old. But we pray and we ask God, would you help us to see with fresh eyes a sure Messiah? And would you keep us by your grace from being a part of a shifting crowd? Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. What a a privilege it is to 
to be able to come to your word and to see in your word all that has taken place. To see the way that you're sovereignly working, to see the way that you're sovereignly ordering things to take place in these days so that it is abundantly clear that you are who you are. You are the sure Messiah. God, over these next months, as we look into your word together, God, I pray that our faith in you would be strengthened, that our affection for you would be deepened, that our commitment to you would be stronger. God, would you help us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.